like Zaccaroli, so let me open us up in a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we have many things on our hearts, many concerns that we have about whether or not we're doing it all right. Father, we're sometimes so proud of everything that we've got going on. We want to we want to do it all. We're not sure if we're doing it all, and we're not sure if we're doing it perfectly. Lord, help us to set thoughts like these aside and hear this really important word that you have for us this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We ask your blessing on Alec as he comes to deliver your word to us. It's an exciting morning. Help us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Alec Zaccaroli. This working? I'll just do this fine. I'll just, I can. Um, so last summer, uh, or actually this, this past summer, I was really blessed to be able to go with my family to Italy. I just wanted to share this, this with you. My, uh, Amy and I are going through some changes in our life that require some belt tightening. And so uh, I sat down and, 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 and um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, dieting. Now, unfortunately, I, I mean, that's not there yet right now. It needs to be. Um, I did the really the biblically responsible thing to do. I prayed about this, and I went to my wife, and I said, you know what? I'm thinking about this, and we better spend it while we got it. So <laughs> it's there. It's in the Bible. It's called the prodigal son, I think. Um, anyway, so we, uh, we went to Italy, and, and I, was, I was in the Duomo in Siena, and I was just amazed at this artwork that we saw. Um, it really kind of touched me, uh, the intricacy of it, the beauty, um, you know, that, that these fathers that went, for these, these, these saints that went before us, you know, what they poured into it, the way they poured their love into these things, and it really kind of moved me. I'm just sharing a few of these. Um, uh, well, yeah, and then there's that. Okay, it wasn't all a home run. I, I'm really hoping Mary doesn't really look like that, and I'm, I'm not sure what to make of the little... This, this morning says this whole this whole lesson this morning is about grace. So I know Jesus will forgive me for this, but it's it's like a little Keebler elf, you know. He's thrown the peace sign. So anyway, uh, let's just move. On. But I was in actually. There's a point to all this. I was in the baptistry, and you know, you're walking around there, and uh, I nearly missed this one um, little etching that 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 has affected me deeply since, and. Um, it's this, this little guy, you, you know, there was this, this big, huge statue of Jesus, it was beautiful, 
And if you're walking around, you'd miss it. This little, in this little corner was this half-drawn etching of this kind of fairly ugly, pathetic little man, um, incomplete, clearly broken, on his knees saying, God, God, you're all I have. You're all I need, but I need you now. That's what it spoke to me. Um, and why do I love it so much? Because that's me. I could, that's the only thing I could relate to in that entire baptistry. <laughs> that little, wretched little man. Uh, and and I, I'm sharing it today, and I, this is all I got. This is all you're going to see. I got, uh, Bob and I were exchanging emails. He said, you're a man of few words. Well, no. <laughs> you, you're going to wish I was. This was, um, you know, a picture says a thousand words. And this is a picture of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for me in some respects, in many respects. So... The picture says 1,000 words, lawyers say 10,000, teachers 15,000, so you're out of luck in terms of me shortening this and putting the picture up there. But that I just want to have you reflect on as we open up the word today. Um, open up, actually, don't, don't open your Bibles, or if you haven't, or turn them off or turn them over. I want you guys to tell me, because I, I want you guys to tell me, what is Ephesians 2, 8? Give me 8 and 9. Come on, anybody? I'm going to start calling people. See, I knew it. I, 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 okay, I hear mumbling. But I think what you said was, for grace you have been saved through faith, and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to actually, I'm just going to focus on, um, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to focus on just a couple of words. Um, and they're not words like Ben or you. It's actually the ones you would expect. Mostly grace. Talk and just talk about this word grace because we talk a lot about it and and I think sometimes you know or for myself I think grace I go right to the cross and I go there it is boom but you know it's yeah it's that but it's it's more than that it's um so I want to I want to walk with you guys this morning through God's story of grace and and what I want to suggest to you as a working definition of this word, which you're um, not necessarily, I'm not going into commentaries and I'm not going to go back and I can share the Greek with you, which I'll do in a second, but it's not going to probably jive. But what I'm saying is that when you think about grace as God acting, because that's what it is. It's God intervening in the world. And it's amazing when you look at it that way. I, I, and maybe you already have. But the, the Greek word here is karate. It's, um, it's in the dative which means you put a by in front of it. Um, and so when you take that all together and, and, and it says God will freely, uh, 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 God will freely give, essentially, is, is one of the ways it's defined. So when we look at it, that sounds a lot like grace. So when we put all the Greek together, the word we end up with is by grace, which doesn't help us that much. Um, so let's look at what the Bible says. Actually, I'm going to put this up here. Can you hear me right? I want you to open up to Genesis 1, 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the earth of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light was good. That is grace. 
God goes on, okay, he creates the light and the day. He creates the expanse in the middle, midst of the waters that later becomes heaven. Um, he calls heaven dry land, water. We go, if we can go through the entire verse, the fruit trees, um, the animals, creation, everything in it, this big, beautiful world. He is fast at work for six days creating the world we live in. And, of course, on 127, God created man in his own image. We are the Imago Dei. In the image of God, he created a male and female, and we see at 31 that he, feel, he thought that was very good. Um, that's God's grace. We, we, we've got all kinds of ideas and floating around our world today about the universe and how it sort of just created itself, popped into being as a big bang or whatever you want to do. It was a big bang. It was a big bang of grace. Okay, and the world as we go into it is that. Now, I want to, there's a couple of commands that, that, because, well, this is important. Did anybody pay a price when we began to create the earth? When God created the earth, did we pay for it? No. Did we have anything to do with it? No, of course not. I mean, that's obviously the essence of grace, right? Um, that's how it was. God did say do two things, at least two things, to Adam and Eve. What were they? Be fruitful and multiply. Why? So that he could populate the earth full of living things? He would have invented mice to do that. Because we are what? We're the image of God. God wants to glorify the world through his image. And we do that as the image of God. And Adam and Eve created perfectly. We're set to do that. Now, jump ahead with me to 3.5. Because I'm, that's important. Um, here we have the, the sneaky little serpent coming in. And Satan comes in and uh, talks to Eve and um, leads her astray, and she leads Adam astray, and the whole thing goes downhill. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, you will not, sorry, where am I? Your eyes will be opened, and you will... Be like God, knowing good and evil. I want to, yeah, there's a lot of pride there, okay? There's a lot of searching, a lot of wanting to be like God. But I, there's another message in there that Satan says, and it's one that we really have to wrestle with, I think. What Satan's saying to, to Eve is this. God's grace isn't enough. You need more. Okay, forget about what Chris Tomlin told you or Matt Marr or whoever wrote the song. God's grace is not enough for you. You want more. And she falls for it. And suddenly we fall into sin. So now what is the story of grace? What do we do now? Uh, what happens next? Is, is, is grace gone? Of course not, right? Um, Romans 5.20. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Grace is never wiped out, but, but it's changed. And uh, it's changed, I think, in a, in a fundamental way. Um, we now have Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and um, they see they're naked, so they go and they find some fig leaves. Fig leaves, they're, they're walking around. By the way, this might be God's next act of grace, was that he didn't make poison ivy the biggest leaf in the garden. That's why I, I'm not God for many reasons, but I would have really been tempted knowing what these guys were going to do. 
he takes the lead. They take them, and they're in their leaves, and God sees this, and he knows that they're going to have to go out. They're going to have to go out into the big world, and they're not going to get very far in their little fig leaves, you know. It's not going to work for them. So what does he do? Um, 321. Then the Lord said, Behold, man has come like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the uh, tree of life and eat forever. Um, sorry, I was just read from the wrong one. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Okay, what is that? Tell us. First sacrifice, exactly. Now there seems to be a price associated. Not a price we pay, but a price that is paid, a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And so grace has this assigned to it. Now, um, uh, fast forward now, 75 or 100 years or for the young earth creationists, add a few billion to that if you're not, to the man on the mountain. Um, Exodus 20. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and uh, he's got his Ten Commandments and what is it, 613 other regulations um, coming down. He's bringing the law. Oh no, the law. Now we got a problem, don't we? Because law and grace, aren't they in conflict? Um, is this sort of now the end of grace? I um, no. The law, when it was handed down by Moses, was yet another act of grace. God intervening in his people's lives. Because go back to the beginning. What did God say about people? What are we supposed to do? Reflect his glory. We are the Imago Dei. We are to, to be image him. We are to be holy. We are to be set apart. Agios, whatever you want to call it. And the people couldn't get it right. They couldn't. We know that. They were grumbling in the desert. They were hardly God's image. So God comes down with this set of laws that tells them instructions. And they're beautiful instructions. The holiness code is holy. And it gives the people a path forward to be able to redeem themselves and, and, and fulfill what his mission is for them. But as we know, um, just as Adam and Eve did, ultimately they're going to reject it. Now you guys, you know what it means. You know what the, it's like to have instructions, right? Come on, you guys. You've been there on Christmas Eve sitting in front of that box full of bicycle parts. How many throw away the instructions? I'm trying to just separate the engineers here from everybody else. Okay, no one's raising their hand. I don't believe you. Lying's a sin. Don't. I, I'll, I'll pray for you. Um, no, I actually do read the instructions, but since I've been a lawyer for the last 18 years, I just don't agree with any of them. But you, you, you wake up the next day, and your kids riding around going, "Oh, this is great, Dad." You know, and then after a trip to the emergency room, we realize maybe the handlebars did need to go that other way. But, um, that's, that's, that's God's instruction. We don't take it. And we know um, that God gives us gift of law. And we, we just finished uh, last semester, Malachi. And um, I want to turn there for a second, Malachi 3, because we could walk through the entire history of Israel if we wanted and had, you know, 11 days to do it. We're not going to do that because you guys know the story. You know everything I'm telling you here. It's just a reminder. But Malachi 3.13, God says to his people, your words have been arrogant against me, 
says the Lord. Yet you say, we have spoken against you. You said, it's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Sound familiar? Um, but the point here being, they rejected God's grace. And so there's a period of silence. 400 years or so. Until, uh, until the silence is shattered by that voice in the wilderness. Luke 2, 7 tells us of a baby in a manger. A baby's cry uh, in, the, in the night. Now, this is where, obviously, I'm going to park for a second. Because this is what blows me away. And again, you guys know this. But sometimes just think about it. God was the set apart, absolute, holy, sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, creator of all things. Everything is under his power. Everything. He's outside of time. He's outside of earth. He's outside of everything. He's, you know, uh, Exodus 19, the guys couldn't even go to the mountain. If they set foot on it, boom. That's God, because that's God's holy mountain. You can't go there. Moses couldn't look him in the face. Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, or the King, the Lord of hosts. Moses knew. You don't look upon this God. He's too holy. He's too set apart. He's too powerful. And uh, this same God takes on flesh, and comes down. That's God acting. That's God intervening. That's God's grace. I, um, I'm amazed by that. Because now we can, we, can, we, we can, not only can you see him, you can look right in his eyes if you want. You can hear him, you can touch him, you can feel him, you can feel him, you can eat with him. This God of the universe has come down for us I, I, people struggle with the resurrection and, 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 and the immaculate conception and the resurrection and, and, and this whole notion of, of, of who Christ is. And, and I don't think people struggle with it that much because of they can't get past, you know, this physical resurrection. Maybe they do, obviously. But I think the bigger issue, and the issue I struggled with, was how can this God that you say created everything would actually come down and do this for us? I'm looking at all these stars in the sky. How is it this one little planet with these one little people who, by the way, seem to disobey him at every turn? Why would he care? That is huge grace. It's amazing to me. Like I said, we see we can see him and touch him and feel him and be healed by him. The problem is then we can accuse him, we persecute him. Beat him within an inch of his life, flog him, spit on him, mock him, put a crown of thorns on his head, force him to drag a cross up a hill, nail him to it, stick a spear in his side, and watch him die. We've rejected grace again. Don't know how long it takes us to get it. Um, but what does Jesus do in response to that? Yeah, he overcomes it all. 
who's resurrected in there, obviously, is the grace that we're talking about in Ephesians 2.8. But there's that bigger picture of grace. And I probably haven't edified you much with anything this morning, but except to see that big, 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 huge picture of grace. And I think it's important to see it that way. Um, because it might help us to understand why it is absolute fundamental heresy to suggest that we did anything to earn it and that we can do anything through works or otherwise. God's grace is too big. It just is. We are, we are blessed immensely that this, our God, would die for us in this magnificent act of grace, which is just one more intervention, and his ultimate intervention is coming. We know that. His ultimate act of grace is coming. There are days, especially these days, when I'm saying, Lord, bring it on, because I don't know. Um, but I also know I know a few too many people who don't know him. So um, I'm almost, let me just wrap up, because, I, again, I, I think we need to wrestle with this. this there's this other, uh, this, other, this other word in there called faith. What does that mean? Uh, it's spistuos, spistuo in the, Greek, in the Greek, which is in the genitive, which basically means um, through faith. But faith is just, faith is, is accepting the truth of what we just talked about, what I talked about. That God is the God of grace and he's extended his grace through you, through Jesus. And that's it. Accepting it in our lives. If you haven't, you need to. Because um, he paid too big of a price. Um, I want to touch up very briefly, though. Because we've got this word in here, um, we've got this, 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 this notion of not as a result of works. And of course, I mean, we go to James 2.17, and, and which says faith without works is what? Dead. So, okay, let's just wrestle with that for one, t one second. You all know, I mean, this is not antithetical to what Paul's teaching here, but, but, but what? It's complementary, exactly. What, what I... What I uh, what I struggle with a little bit, though, is sometimes we read this and we go, no, 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 it's still about salvation by grace, but if your life doesn't reflect works, then I question whether you're really saved. Um, pushing back on that a little bit. It's not about anything you do, pre- or post-salvation. You can't take the act of salvation away from God and the Holy Spirit. You guys have given your life to him. You're sealed. Um, so what is this works all about? I, I want to suggest maybe, well, first of all, let's read Ephesians always in, in context, okay? We, we tend to go, oh, Ephesians 2, 8, 2, 9, boom, 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 but there's this pesky little 2, 10 we got to look at, isn't there? Right? He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Somebody over there said this is complimentary, James. Exactly. This is, this is why it's so. Um, we, um, we need to go back and remember why we were created. We were made for this. We were made for his good works. Not a question of salvation. You can call it a question of sanctification. It is that, certainly. But it's just 
what you were made for. You were the Imago Dei. You were the inner God, every one of you. And you can go out into the world and reflect that. You have that. It's an opportunity. It's not even work. If we can get God, when God is working in our hearts, when God has seized control of every part of our lives, when we've given everything over to him, that's Paul's good works here. That's what I would submit to you. Your life will reflect that. You will be a light in a very, very, very dark world right now. And, man, we need that. We need that big time. Um, so I'm just going to close uh, with this, thing, this little snippet I read from uh, John MacArthur. Some of you guys, if you get his devotional, would have caught this. Um, kind of convicted me a little. But I want to keep this in mind. As we grapple with this notion of grace and God's love for us and what we do in response to it, <clears throat> you are the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read, and your life is under scrutiny every day. What, what, you, what, what do others learn from you? Do they see an accurate picture of God? I guess I could have made those the questions for the day. Maybe I should do those, but you can answer either sort of the same thing. Um, you are the only Bible some unbelievers will see. And by the grace of God, you are present in their lives. So what are we going to do with it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace and mercy. We thank you that though we are so utterly unworthy of you, still, that you are faithful, that you are a God of love, an unchained God, and a God who still believes that we can be your image. Lord, help us to be that image as we go forth from here and into the day and into the week and into the month and into the year and into the rest of our life. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to be among us and lead us in these conversations this morning. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thanks.